Hello and welcome to BTA Charity Voices Podcast with me, Anne Hughes. In this Series 3 of the podcast, BTA is continuing its commitment to the charity sector by building on its existing bank of knowledge. Conversations in the coming months will focus on insights around innovation and collaboration from across the sector. Fortnightly, we will bring together charity colleagues to chat about how we're showing up in our organisations today and how we're innovating and collaborating to meet our ambitions. As always, we'll endeavour to shine a light on topics that are relevant to us all. Together with our charity partners, BTA continues to strive to ensure our sector has the tools and skills necessary to thrive. Hello and welcome back to Charity Voices Podcast with me, Anne Hughes. And in this week, I am chatting about innovation with Bethany Bigger, the director of Edinburgh Food Project, who run seven food banks across Edinburgh. The really interesting thing and why I wanted to invite Bethany onto the podcast was to talk about how they have expanded from being so much more than just a food bank. And so to get some insights on how you identify how you should grow the direction in which you should grow and how you actually implement it. Bethany, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes, and I know Edinburgh Food Project very well, uh, which is an amazing organisation, obviously. So you've got the seven food banks, but you decided to grow and do more than just a food bank. So tell me about the project and also about how you made those deci- those initial decisions to become more than just a food bank. Yeah, so Ember Food Project started in 2012 with the very simple and efficient model of collect food, give food out, which mm-hmm. are a very typical food bank, food bank model. Um, around about 2017, 2018, we realised that our food banks were getting busier, that people were coming more regularly and just started questioning if people were getting all the support that they were entitled to, were accessing all the services that were available, the people know everything that was going on. So we got a little bit of funding to do a piece of research. We brought in researchers and the outdoor food bank centres and spoke to the people that use the service and asked basically what support do you think you need? What do you think would mean that you didn't have to use a food bank anymore? So we used that research and people's responses to start bringing in additional services to the food bank centres. So we recognised that one of the one of the barriers to people accessing that support is going into another building, going into a service that you don't know and meeting people that you don't know. We're actually having it all under one roof just makes it a bit easier for people to navigate. It's a lot more personable. It's a lot more on a relationship basis. Yeah. You know, food bank centres, you have cups of teas and biscuits and you can sit and blather. It's not as formal as walking into an office and saying, I would like to book an appointment about this problem. Mm. Do you know, it's, it's a lot more casual than that, which makes it a bit easier for people to start engaging with services. So that's where we started dipping our toes into the water of doing things differently and not just not just giving out food. Uh-huh. And so see, because the initial part of that, isn't it, that one, you recognised, didn't you, that something bigger was going on here? And my goodness, you know, it, it seems like pre-2012 was a long time ago when we didn't have food banks. Obviously, it's it's quite horrific in many levels, isn't it? But getting seeing the gap and getting the researchers in 
Where did that come from? Did you, was it your board? Was it yourself just thought, right, how do we work this out better? I think it was just an accumulation of things, really. Just mm. recognising what was changing, what was happening and thinking, we know we need to do something different. Yeah. Let's go ask the people what we could do differently. Yeah. You know, rather than just come up with something. The research wasn't to prove that we had to bring in services it was to find out if that was a good idea or not yeah. you know so it was like what what would make a difference in your life what support would make a difference do you want it in food bank centers is that a good plan is that a terrible plan just it was asking people what they wanted and that was a lovely way i suppose to be very person-centered wasn't it which so many of the services that we know exist uh, for people and and the world but definitely in scotland and in the uk is that it's not person-centered they might say they're person-centred, but they're not, perhaps. And therefore, that gave a very person-centred approach. So what did you decide, or what did the people tell you that they needed that helped you start to think, right, what would expansion look like for us? There was really strong support for the idea of bringing services into the centres. It was quite clear that people wouldn't travel for it. It was like, you know, my local service, so it doesn't matter if you put it in over at that food bank and it's been my food bank people weren't wouldn't travel for it which i think makes sense do you know the whole point of it being under one roof is you won't have to go to one place yeah the most requested support so people were asked to choose we give a big long list of different types of support just to help people think about what support was available you know just to get them thinking what they could have and mental health was the most requested mm support it wasn't the top it wasn't people's first choice but it was the most requested choice the top choices were benefits advice welfare rights debt your your money your income yeah kind of a support uh-huh and so what did you do there for you I, I know there's been a couple of things you've done because i think the first thing you done was put money advice in but then you started to expand even beyond that so tell us how that came about where that started so the the first thing we done was we off the back of the research and using that as our like our, our reasoning and our logic we got a little pot of money and i say little it was like two days a week with no other funding um, to bring in a member of staff so our third employee was our service development mm-hmm. um, and her role was to and still is to go out and convince other organizations to come into our food bank centers for free because we had no money to pay them, we had no money at her job. When she first started, she was like, what do you mean I don't have a budget? I was like, you don't have a budget. <laughs> you need to go talk people into uh-huh. this. And it was, we had overwhelming support to do that because people recognised that the services that they offered weren't always the most accessible to people. So actually, we're really keen on that. So that was our first step in 2018. And then 2020, we'd been struggling to get money advice into the food bank centres, welfare rights advice, debt, especially on the scale that we wanted across all of the food bank centres. So we successfully got a pot of money to start our own money advice service. So we started in 2012. It was a small team. It was two advisors. Um, They started two months before COVID. So the idea was that we would be going around the food bank centres and meeting people and it'd be all in person and it'd all be lovely. Uh, But obviously with COVID, everything went online. It became a helpline. It was a phone service for nearly two years, Mm -hmm. you know, before we get fully back into the the food bank centres. But the service has just continued to grow. 
there's always a need for it. Yeah. You know, we could never have too many. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's always its income and money is at the root of why people access the food bank centres. They don't have enough money to buy food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's the common aspect of all that there's the income isn't enough. So yeah, the money advice service started in 2020 is now up at like eight advisors, eight welfare rights advisors, two support officers. It's a really strong team that is getting really amazing financial gains for people. I think last year it was £275,000 we got for people. The most for one person was like 25000 That was like 13000 backdated that they were entitled to and hadn't been getting, it went to tribunal. So they can really amazing, really amazing stuff that's really transformational for people that they're entitled to. It's not money, it's not secret money, it's money that they're entitled to. Uh-huh. It's just an absolute minefield to try and navigate on your own. Yeah. So then you started to develop beyond that as well. And I know that's because I know you and I know the organisation. And I suppose a huge part of that was that you, the, the pandemic was horrific in many, many ways, wasn't it? But actually, as well as the need for the Edinburgh Food Project increasing, the income increased a bit at that time as well, didn't it? We were very fortunate that the general public, you know, corporate organisations, grant funders recognised the, the position that, that emergency food providers were in, recognised the position that us as a food bank and a money advice service were in and that the support that we could give people. And we received quite a significant amount of financial donations, which allowed us to think about what's next, what more could we do, what we could all of our food bank centres at the time were, you know, we were in free spaces, we popped up for a couple of hours, we disappeared for a couple of hours, and we'd really maxed out what we could do with that model. Yeah. We knew the model worked, and we knew that the services were well used, but we there was nowhere else we could go with it. So we were, because of that, um, it allowed us to think a bit more out of the box, a, a little bit bigger than what we'd kind of ever imagined that we could that we could do and we opened our first community hub in August 2023 so not that long ago mm-hmm. and the difference in the community hub in comparison to our other food bank centres is that it's a permanent space so we don't just pop up and disappear and um, we rent space from another organisation so we're, we're permanently there which means that our food bank centre looks different so it looks like a shop it's still a food bank centre, it's still free, it's still referral based, but it looks like a shop. So there's a lot more dignity in the choice that people have. There's a lot more agency in how people want to access the service. So the, the food part is, is is different, has changed. Just because of how the building works means that we can bring in more organisations, that they can have one-to-one meetings with people in a private space, and we can also run events. So... So far, we've run an energy event, so we've brought in different organisations that have done a, a specific drop-in event for people to just in the community just to engage with, to see what's going on. We've done a housing event, mm-hmm. all the housing providers in the area. So we, we, can, we can start to expand and do those more focused events and put on activities for people and like training things. So we're going to run a digital skills course for six weeks. Yeah. So we can just take it further than what we can do when we pop up for two hours and disappear again yeah. in, a, in another centres. 
And do you find, therefore, because when you were talking earlier about putting money advice into the, the various food banks that you've got, that it had to be local, are you finding now that you've got the community hub, I know you've still got the money advice in the food banks, but are you finding that more people from a wider network will come to that? Not really. Hmm. No, there, there will be some people, but not, not as a significant amount. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a travel for people. They then have to pay for a bus. Yeah. They then have to pay for petrol. You know, the, the whole reason people come to us is because they need emergency food. Yeah, exactly. And you can get that in any of our food banks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about the you collaboration know, around that? Because you're talking about all the partners that are coming in, they're delivering, though they were coming into the, the food banks, but now they're coming into this hub and they are delivering different things. Has that collaboration been quite easy to achieve or has that been a, a rocky road? I wouldn't say it's been easy to achieve because I think that would do a bit of disservice to the hard work that our development leads had to put in. But it's been it's been a journey. Yeah. So the organisations that are coming into the hub are organisations that we've worked with since 2018 when we got that research. Yeah. It's all relationship-based. We still don't pay them. Mm-hmm. We, we still don't offer anything for them to come in. It's very relationship-based and knowing each other and knowing what each, other, each service does and trusting that our services work well together and that we can support each other's clients. Yeah, yeah. And do you find that, therefore, and obviously it's called Community Hub, and there's always that feeling, isn't there, that we had lost community and compared to what, you know, our our parents and our grandparents would tell us about what community used to be like. Then we had the the pandemic and it seemed like community could maybe come back a bit again because people did care about each other. And then we go back to being in the now. Do you think that the fact that as a community hub makes uh, the community stronger, therefore, in terms of the community of those who live in the locale, but also in terms of the community of all the different agencies that could be interacting with and helping these people to meet their own targets? I think, you know, you're saying you don't, you don't pay them, but they have their own um, outputs that they need to achieve, yeah. don't they? I think the the word community is quite a hard one because what does what does community mean? Uh-huh. You know, so the building that we're in is we've partnered with Thistle Foundation, so they're a health and wellbeing organisation. And obviously we support people that are in poverty, that are struggling to buy food. So if you don't fit into one of those two communities, you don't really have a reason to come into the building. Right. You know, so if if you drill it if you drill it down, what we're what we're hoping for is that eventually the the service will be so well known in the the area that anyone who finds themselves with a problem or with something happening that they just go ah i know where i could somebody i could ask somebody about that uh-huh. that that community hub over there i've heard that they've got loads of services in there so we can get to the point where we're just seen as like a central place where if something happens, you go to that uh-huh. building and somebody in this building is going to know what to know what to do about it. But it is quite a hard, it is a community. We are a community. We support a lot of people, a lot of local people. But I think you have to be quite realistic as to what community means mm. for different people and the different ways people interact with services and, you know, the commonalities and, our organisation is here for people that are experiencing poverty and are in a position where they can't afford to buy food and all the complications that go along, along with that. 
So realistically, if you're not in that position and you're very unlikely to ever be in that position, then you're not going to be part of that community hub. Mm. But it's knowing, it's making people aware that it's there. Yeah. Should that ever happen? Like you might not fit it just now. Uh-huh. You might not need it or see a reason as to why you would go there, but knowing it's there if you do. Aye. Is there ambition to open more community hubs? Yeah. So we want to, it's a bit too early yeah. to say where, when and how. Because we don't really have the learning from the hub yet. It's only been open six months. Yeah. So on the surface of it, it seems to be working great. Uh-huh. But we, we don't have the data, we don't have the learning that would allow us to then start rolling it out in other, in other places. We know that as, as a minimum, we want to take some aspects of it that we know are working, like that choice of the food provision. We know we want to try and do something similar, mm-hmm. even if it's on a smaller scale in the other centres. We already have other agencies, other support services coming into the other food banks and our money advice service base there. So there's, it might not look the same, mm-hmm. but definitely developing in that direction. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, and we've chatted just informally about this before, about how we would all look further to be a future where Scotland doesn't have food banks, where the UK doesn't have food banks. It doesn't feel as if just now that's ever going to be achieved. I mean, what are your thoughts on how this is developing, our acceptance of food banks? You know, and I know we've talked about, have people forgotten that food banks are there because food donations at times can be difficult? And people, and I'm like, maybe people don't even see the trolleys in the supermarkets anymore because they've been there for so long now. And they were shocking at first, but now maybe we don't even notice them, we're blind to them. So, So what... What do you think is next in terms of what, what's happening in the UK with food poverty? So I think it's really interesting, especially in Scotland. We are the only nation that has an end in the need for food banks policy, if you want to call it, from Scottish government. Um, so none of the other nations have it. It's only Scotland. So just that recognition at government level that this isn't OK, like this, this, isn't, this isn't all right is a real step forward do you know it's a, it's a real just just that recognition is moving us in the right direction do you yeah. know it will take time but we're at least heading we're at least on the same page do you know yeah. so where, we, where we need to be i do think it's possible i don't think i could do this job if i didn't mm. i think it's just going to take a lot of people and a lot of effort and a lot of bold decisions from local organisations, councils, government, at all levels, that we're going to need to make some really big, big, big decisions to to make sure that we we don't drift off in the wrong in the wrong the wrong direction. I think there will always be a need for an emergency food provision at a certain level, you know, a certain amount. People will always fall into crisis. Mm-hmm. And that's going to happen. That that's that's human nature. We, that's that's never going to go away. But the part that we can change is the part that keeps people there, that keeps people at that point, that when you fall down, you can't get back up again. Yeah. And that's the bit that we need to focus on, that it should never... If if your washing machine breaks, that doesn't mean that you're now just... That's, that's the level you're at now. 
do you know that you it sucks you in and that's it you can't get back on you can't get back on your feet so if you're out of work for a couple of weeks that shouldn't mean that that's it uh-huh. you, you, you're stuck there now you're, you're never going to be able to pull your way back and I think that's where the support services come in I think that's where the advice and the support is really accessible it's easy to use and find and personable and relationship based and not scary and off-putting for people that they they don't want to deal with it but the other part of that is the wider societal change where we need to start treating people with a little bit of respect and dignity and stop looking at people as a number Mm -hmm. that when our benefits are set when the, the value of benefits are set that actually we we do a little bit of math and make sure that's enough money to survive on and we don't put people in destitution the minute we give them universal credit that actually we give them enough money that they have the capacity to to thrive on something else rather than just clambering to survive and the health ben- the health problems that come along with that the mental health issues the stress the pressure of just surviving constantly you're never going to get the best out of someone you're never going to get someone who's who's thriving in society if we put them in destitution as a country we go no that's where you are we're going to pop you there let's see how you figure out how you get out of it so i think there's work at a local level but there's a point where as a country, if we don't start looking at people as real people, not just a number, not just a benefit claimant, that we're going to hit a brick wall mm. and it will not push past it. So I think the ending the need for food banks policy is a good start. Yeah. And Scottish government has a lot of powers. There is a lot of things that Scottish government can do and have done. The bits that we're getting stuck at is the bits that are Westminster and we don't have control over that we can't that we can't change. You're so wise whenever you speak to me about this stuff, Bethany. I suppose just before before we round up, have you seen, therefore, because of the advice that you've put in place in the community hub and in the food banks, that you've had people that just stop coming? They come for a while, you give them the advice, you help them out and you never see them again. And therefore the numbers start to drop? Or is it just always refilling itself and the numbers never go down? It's always refilling itself. Yeah. Yeah, there is there is people who you know we get really amazing financial gains for that we can support, and that's at that part of their life where they had to use the food bank is over. Yeah, it's done. That they don't have to do that again, but they're just replaced by someone else. Mm. And and I think that's where the societal change part comes in that we can chip away at it and keep chipping away at it, but it just keeps filling back up again. It'll be really interesting with our new hub model. We're putting a lot of emphasis on the evaluation and trying to understand the impact that we have a little bit better. You know, just because someone doesn't come back doesn't mean it's not because they need the service. Yeah. You know, do they come back six months later because something else happened? So really trying to understand how people interact with the food bank and the money advice service and recognising that it's not as black and white. Mm-hmm. Is it is we'd like it to be. It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Things are complicated. Thank you so much, Bethany, for joining me on the podcast. 
for sharing all your insights and wisdom around this and I think really a call upon other organisations to be looking at research, to be looking at evaluation, to be looking at what direction do they want to grow in. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on BTA Charity Voices podcast. If you would like to know more about the work of BTA or indeed access more of our knowledge and expertise, you can find all the info you need at our website, www.brucetateassociates.net. Here you can also sign up for our newsletter, vacancy alerts and webinars for professionals within the charity sector.